Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. We're on a highway to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. A stark warning at the start of the COP27 summit in Egypt today from the United Nations Secretary General, Antonio Guterres. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Well, the Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnellogue, is here in studio to debate Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy. Meta planning large-scale job cuts this week. And later, Richard Chambers is in Washington, D.C. on the eve of a midterm election that will shape the rest of the U.S. president's term. You can join the conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Kishik Michal Martin has warned that time is running out to take action on climate change and that the delivery of pledges needs to be accelerated. Well, speaking after arriving at the COP27 conference, he said that for Ireland, this would mean the delivery of offshore wind targets. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres also warned countries gathered in Egypt that they face a stark choice. Work together now to cut emissions or condemn future generations to climate catastrophe. He called for a pact between the world's richest and poorest countries to accelerate the transition from fossil fuels and funding to ensure that poorer countries can reduce emissions and cope with the climate impacts that have already occurred. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. The war in Ukraine, other conflicts, have caused so much bloodshed and violence and their dramatic impacts all over the world. But we cannot, we cannot accept that our attention is not focused on climate change. We must, of course, work together to support peace efforts and then the tremendous suffering. But climate change is on a different timeline and a different scale. It is a defining issue of our age. And a reminder about our nightly live interactive poll, which allows you to get involved in the show and tell us what you think about the big issues of the day. Tonight, we're asking, would you pay more for your food to help reach climate targets? You can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code on the screen. We'll be closing that poll shortly and we will bring you the results soon. So do get voting. Now, joining me here in studio this evening is Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnellogue and Sinn Féin spokesperson on agriculture, Matt Carthy. You're both very welcome along to the programme. Um, to come to you first, Minister, we're hearing 
A lot of words, a lot of stark language coming once again from a climate conference, this time COP27 in Egypt. And we had to, we heard there from Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, saying we are on a, on a highway to climate hell. When you hear those words, uh, do they frighten you? It's, it's, it's very concerning and we know it as well, Claire. and even just over the summer that we've just had and when we look at what happened across the European continent in relation to the really dry weather, unprecedented in many instances, um, across southern Europe in particular, across southern England, um, really affecting crops and the capacity to produce food, um, that really does bring it home, the challenges there. And I've seen in the last day or two as well the fact that over the, that the last eight years are in course to be the last mm -hmm. eight years on record. And that's why the government is taking this massively seriously. It's why it is um, the key priority for the government to make real progress in relation to actually reducing our emissions. It's why we have set the target of 51% economy-wide by, by 2030 and indeed enshrined that in legislation. It's why we're stepping out, not just in agriculture and food, the area I'm responsible, responsible for, but right across the, uh, ec the economy and government departments, stepping out plans in relation to how we can actually reduce our emissions by maintaining and improving people's quality right. of life as uh, well. The 25% cut uh, by the biggest polluting sector, which is the agricultural sector, is on your watch. Is there an agreed roadmap now in place between the farming community and government on how to achieve this? Well, uh, first of all, and I mean, uh, in terms of how you present that, um, uh, Irish agriculture in terms of uh, as a food producing model um, is, is very efficient in relation to how we produce it. It's grass based, it's mm. pasture based, and we do it really, really well. It's a bigger part of our national emissions because of the fact we don't have the same industrial base that other developed countries have. So it's important to yep. acknowledge that. Okay. But, but in relation let's then... just talk about, though, because according to the EPA in, in Ireland, the agriculture sector was directly responsible for 37.5% of national greenhouse gases. Uh, and that was in 2020, 2021. We know, in fact, those emissions have gone upwards. So it is by it's fact, large, it is the largest, the largest polluting sector. sector. The, lar You'll the largest, the largest, it's the largest part of our national emissions, sure. certainly. So and the 25% cut, all eyes are really on that, Minister, in terms of what you can achieve and how you'll get there. Is there a roadmap in place? There, there is a roadmap in place. And in fact, agriculture and food was the first sector of the economy to actually put a roadmap in place. Um, that was in place to get us to our previous um, emissions target. Um, uh, but we have updated that now in terms of the, the, the climate action plan, which we agreed at the end of the summer, which sets a, a new target of 25%. I'm currently working now with all of the farm stakeholders and farm family representatives as well in relation <laughs> to how we can uh, enhance and add to that roadmap that we have in place that will bring us and deliver that extra um, level of emissions, which will bring us to the 25%. But at the same time, we are stepping out progress in relation to the plans and proposals we have in place. And farmers across the country, so farm families are very much just, up for that. Just to clarify, Minister, talks are in place right now. That's what's happening now. You're, you're talking yes, so to farmers, in, you're in talking relation, to dairy farmers, in, and you're seeing what you can in, do. In, in, no, no, in relation to the increased ambition. But we are stepping out the plan we already had in place. Well, so uh, well farmers, in fairness, I suppose so the ambition now is this 25% ceiling. It's higher, it's higher. But, but, but we are already making progress in relation to actually being okay. on that journey and right. stepping that out. And farmers, really importantly, Claire, are up for that and are back in that. They just want to be assured that the work that they'll be putting into it in terms of their income, that that right. is protected in the process. Okay. Um, farmers are up for this. The emissions target has been set by government. Matt Carthy, first of all, would you agree with that 25% um, ceiling and emission cuts that needs to be reached by the agriculture sector? Well, the first thing I will agree with Charlie on is that 
Irish farmers are up for the challenge. They want to be able to constructively play their part in ensuring that we reduce our emissions. I'm not confident that farmers have the information that's required that will allow them to plan on an on-farm basis to reach the necessary targets because we don't have an approach yet that allows for farm-by-farm farm, um, improvements um, to take place. Um, you know, Charlie's right again. You know, there's huge um, positives to be taken from the Irish family farm model. Um, but it's not true to say that we have been doing everything that we can to support farmers to make the transitions that are necessary. In fact, and this is the hallmark of this government's approach across all aspects of climate action. The government is very good at setting targets. It's not very good at reaching them. And even if you look at it within the agricultural sector, those areas where farmers okay. can and should be Just, delivering um, in respect of whether it's um, afforestation, yeah. whether it's in respect of um, organics, whether it's in respect of anaerobic digestion, whatever um, metric you want to use, there are targets that have been in place in some cases for several years and in each and every one of them, government is failing to meet them. Yeah, we do hear criticism from Sinn Féin that when it comes to targets and climate ambition, the party's a bit woolly on that front. No, we support um, the targets that have been set. We've supported the legislation that have been put in place. But what we have been critical of is the approach that the government have been taking because in far too many in instances, um, the measures that have been used to um, supposedly achieve our target um, um, ambitions are unfair, they're punitive. In many what, cases, what are you they're, talking um, about? they're What are you talking about specifically? So if we look at one of the big areas where we know we need to make huge improvements is in relation of retrofitting. Um, government have in place no, well, a scheme. We're talking, about, well, we're we're talking talking, about... We're talking specifically now about agriculture okay, well, in that on, area on, on and on farms and what farming can do. Okay, so the government um, in the programme for government set an ambition of 8,000 hectares per year of new afforestation. That's actually targets that we were meeting previously. And this year there's about 2,000 hectares have been um, planted. Last week, um, um, government um, produced a one-page document that outlined what the payment schemes will be for farmers. But unfortunately, what we haven't got is a partnership approach that will actually encourage farmers to re-enter into the forestry um, system in the, in, at, to the levels that are, are warranted. We okay. see that again in organics. Right. We have um, targets that I would argue are minimal of 7.5% by 2030. In order for us to achieve that, we would okay. need to be converting about 50,000 hectares of, uh, of land to organics. Over the past two years, we've reached under 30,000. And that's right. replicated across you, every one of those Do you sectors. want to respond to that, ministry, uh, Minister, about the area around forestry and, and targets being met there? Because there, there has been criticism in that area and also around organic farming and the ambition there. Yeah, absolutely, because we have very significant plans and investment underway in both. But Matt is criticising the government there, saying that we're good at setting targets, but not at reaching them. Um, the reality is Sinn Féin can't even set targets, don't talk about, decide how to go about reaching them, because we saw over the course of the summer, whenever they were putting their climate action plan together, Sinn Féin were all over the place. So they, they kept, when it comes to making decisions, hard decisions, they go missing. Uh, Matt is saying now that he supports the government targets we've put in place, but they couldn't actually outline what it was they would have put in place before. He's supporting the fact that we've put them in place now and the stepping out of them. So from a government point of view, and we've touched on forestry there, we've touched on organics. Um, over the last year, um, I've put in place a new CAP strategic plan, which is starting um, in this January coming, will run for five years. Um, in that CAP strategic plan, 
we're increasing the funding that will go to organics fivefold mm. to 250 million over that five okay. years, working with Minister of State Pippa Hackett, who's done very good work in this. Right now, we have um, public uh, talks and engagements happening across the country with massive interest from farmers in relation to taking up organics. Just last week, in relation to forestry, Claire, we announced the new forestry programme, which okay. will start from next year, in which we're increasing by 60% the annual funding which farmers so would begin for planting trees. So wrong and all of that, is so, Around, around he, the forestry he, and the ambitions he, and what's he, been done to date. No, he's correct in the point that this year our forestation is too low. We've had challenges over the last 18 months. I absolutely accept that. We've had challenges over the last 18 months in relation, to, license, in relation to licensing, um, which we have worked our way through and which is now um, being dealt with. Um, and we've responded to that by putting in place now a 60% extra increased funding from right. this January coming, uh, which okay. is going to, which is the objective of bringing us from the two to two and a half thousand hectares that's being planted at the moment to 8,000 right. hectares over per annum over the course of the decade ahead. Um, I, I want to ask um, you, and it's interesting that, you know, about sort of the targets that have been set and what Sinn Féin say, in it, because I think there is a point there that we didn't really get much information from Sinn Féin on what their viewpoint was in terms of emissions targets that need to be met. This is like right across the board. No, no. There was that sense that, well, what are you in favour of? What would you like to see? How ambitious do we need to be here? And I just want to point to something that... Um, Junior Minister at the Department of Agriculture, Pippa Hackett, called for a mindset change among farmers. Do you believe there needs to be a mindset change among farmers and that tinkering at the edges of what she describes as business as usual, that's not good enough anymore? I believe it is entirely disingenuous for Pippa Hackett, who is actually responsible for the aforementioned crisis that we're witnessing in forestry and organics um, and land use um, across, across the board to point the fingers at farmers who have been crying out for leadership from government because going back to the to the broad point we support the overall um, emissions reductions across the, the across all sectors we believe every sector should play its part and that every sector should be as ambitious as possible what we said during the summer was that there was no point government setting a figure in respect of agriculture emissions reductions unless we actually have a plan to actually achieve it. That we do not have, and farmers do not, farmers listening in tonight um, and those people who want to see agriculture um, playing a greater role in, in terms of our climate action, action measures, do not know what needs to take place on their farms in order to reduce the emissions um, that, are, that are required. Because those areas where we have targets and where we've had targets now for several years have been mm. missed on an okay. annual basis. Look, all, all, all Matt and Sinn Féin can do is criticise. No. And they're pretty good at that, OK? But when it comes to setting policy and making decisions, advising mm. on what should be done, um, projecting forward, they're absent. They're always absent from the from the debate and have nothing to offer. Surely, if there's if there's a mistake somewhere, they'll pounce on it and try and make out. Well, let's that just they talk about like but, emissions but, but, but have actually example, risen, say, in the sector. Okay, let's just talk about facts on this. They've risen. They're up three percent, and it's down to milk production being up, the dairy herd increase, among other things, uh, fertilizer being up, uh, the use in 2021. So, are farmers being sold the message? Like. You reduced milk quotas and things like that, so that freed up and, and it was all on increased production. Even your messaging now, Minister, is about increasing production and feeding the world. I'm wondering, is this the right message to be putting out at a time of climate hell? 
Well, food production is really important and we do it really well in this country and we're one of the uh, most efficient producers of food in the world as well in terms of the, the emissions footprint of what we but do. But are we producing too much? No, we're, we're not producing too much. Now, we do. We have seen production increase. We're producing multiples of what we need we're, in this country. And, and, and the world needs... The, the, the world over the next 10 years, for example, because of the growing population that, the world, that we're going to see, we need to see a 30% increase in food production across the world over the next decade, which is twice over... Cheese and beef. Of, of food, across the board, of food calories mm. over, over the next decade. So but therefore... we're not producing for the poorer nations, we, Minister. We're producing all types of food, whether it's beef, lamb, milk, milk, which is really important and is exported around the world, and a, a good grain production tillage sector, which we're for, also say, increasing nationally. the Horn of Africa, where we're seeing famine? We're producing and selling our food across the world, and it's important in terms of we're the capacity... We're not targeting the Horn it's of Africa, import, Minister. It's important in terms of the capacity we have, Claire. Um, in terms of grass-based, particularly livestock production, which we do really well, that we that we maximise our capacity but to do that. But we are looking at a high-end premium product, aren't that, we, Minister? We, we are not talking... when we have this, very, It's disingenuous to say the farming community is feeding the world. No, the, the farming community is absolutely feeding the, not the de, not populations the across world. the world. And if, if we were to cut back, um, Claire, in relation to the food that we're producing, there'd be less food for people right, to eat so right across saying, the world. So it's important to do that. Product but in doing it, because it's needed everywhere. It's needed everywhere. And to make this point, so it's not about reducing the food the food we produce, Claire. It's about how we reduce the emissions from that food production. And that's the challenge that far, Irish farmers is stepping up to the mark on. That's the challenge that I am backing them in relation to do. That we're fund, through the funding and through the new CAP programme. We're so we're talking about technology here. Significantly, significantly investing right. in relation to supporting them in do, their income and doing it as well. McCarthy, do you think it's possible to produce more food for a global market, for, you know, producing beef for countries like China, introducing uh, cheese to maybe countries in the Middle East that wouldn't be particularly, you know, trying to, to, to bed into new markets. Do you think that's an important thing that we should be doing right now and something that the focus should be on? I think we produce very good food in Ireland. I think we need to be more sustainable in terms of how we produce it. I think we, before we point the finger at farmers and say the dairy sector, for example, which you're correct in saying has expanded hugely since the abolition of quotas, we need to ask why it has expanded. Um, and there's two reasons. One, it was a very deliberate government strategy to encourage the expansion of the dairy sector. But two, and very importantly, dairy is actually the profitable profitable sector um, within Irish agriculture. Do you agriculture. think it's good, a good thing to see this continuing expansion? And if you what do I would think like it's to a good see, thing, how are we going to reach what, those targets? What I would like to see, um, Claire, is that there are alternative avenues for dairy farmers to either diversify alongside um, dairy or from dairy. The fact is most dairy farmers, and particularly new dairy farmers, move from either um, suckler beef production or from tillage okay. production um, into dairy. The way in which we can actually manage to have um, an agriculture system that reduces emissions and continues to produce food right. is allow people to diversify in a way that they can right. actually continue to make let, a living let, for them for their families. bring you, if we can, the results of our nightly interactive poll. Tonight's question was, would you pay more for your food to help reach climate targets. The result of our poll was 68% against paying more for food and 32% of voters in favour of paying more for food to help reach our targets. Um, what do you think when you hear that, that while I suppose we're, we're in a cost of living crisis as well, Minister, that you're going to have, you know, two thirds of people arguing in a poll saying, you know, I'm paying enough right now when it comes to my supermarket bill, but there is a cohort out there who would be willing to pay more. Yeah, I, th I think that is reflective of the fact that, that families are under pressure and we'll see that in, in all parts of the world as well. Uh, I think the focus has to be on uh, that as we work to support farm families in reducing emissions, 
that we ensure mm -hmm. in relation to the family farm income that that is, that that is supported and increased. Is, and it that's true, why... is it true, though, that we will end up paying more for our, for our meat, for our dairy products, for farming produce in our shops as this climate well, crisis goes you don't, on? Well, you don't, you don't control what happens in relation to markets across the world, and, and 80 to 90 percent of the food we produce actually is sold outside the country. Uh, what you can do is actually make sure you produce it really well within the country and that you support income as best you can. And public policy and, for example, cap funding is, is important in that regard. And the other thing is, as well, in relation to a number of the measures that we have, a significant number of the measures we have in our Climate Action Plan, which we're actually asking farmers to step out, such as the adoption, for example, of low emission slurry spreading, such as the adoption okay. of multi-species sward, for example. Those are, issues, those are approaches which actually improve efficiency and reduce costs and actually improve profitability. Right. So it's there all can technology be a lot of win again in this that as I well. suppose it, money needs to be spent in order to, to, to get the, the job done here. I want to uh, just ask you about the bird flu outbreak, Minister, if I may, a rising number of cases seen in wild birds. How worried are you about this avian flu outbreak? And I guess we're looking ahead to Christmas now. Are you concerned at all about turkey produce this Christmas? Um, it, it's a concern for all poultry farmers across the country. Um, we've had experience, not just here in Ireland, but it's been a, it's been a European-wide issue over the last number of years in relation to bird flu um, and uh, the transfer from the wild bird population, particularly as they migrate at this time of year, to the to the um, the farm poultry sector. Obviously, coming up to Christmas, the turkey sector in particular is really important. Everyone wants to ensure that our turkeys are available for Christmas. It's our objective to make sure that that's absolutely the case. It's also a really important time of year, obviously, for those farmers who breed turkeys to make sure that they are kept safe and that, that, that in relation to their income that that, that actually comes through. So, so that's why you're not, you're, from... Are that's you cautious why, on this front or cautious, are you Cautious, yeah, because from, that's why from today we've moved earlier than we ever have before to actually issue a housing order for all farm poultry. And as of today, farmers across the country are housing their poultry and taking very strong biosecurity steps to ensure that they keep their flocks safe. There's right. no guarantee um, that, that we can stay, that we can, but by taking these measures, it will absolutely give us the best opportunity to keep the, the flock okay. safe. And then if there is right. particular outbreaks, we have protocols in place to make sure they're contained yep. as well. Uh, McCarthy, I just want to get to you on these new turf laws that came in. Um, do you believe there's still a level of confusion around what people can and can't do, who can buy, who can sell and who can burn turf in this country? There is, absolutely. And I think, again, it just shows the back-to-front um, position of this government when we're dealing with these type of issues. You know, all the evidence has shown us that over the past number of generations, the number of people burning turf is, re is reducing all mm -hmm. the time. And the reason that is, is because people will move from turf when there is a credible, affordable alternative. And rather than focusing on providing those alternatives, ensuring that people retrofit their home, finding alternative sources of, um, of heating, Government again have decided to penalise ordinary people for trying to keep their farmers warm. Or are warm they being the penalised at all? I mean, that's the that's the question. There there appears to be. There was some talk, of course, of people perhaps having to serve jail time, and um, if oh, over the turf issue, if they had their got their hands on turf in some way that was illegal under these new laws. I know that's been clarified by government, but. I mean, ha do you think these laws are working well? Was this a sop to the Greens? I mean, really, it seems that there are so many loopholes here. They're the Turbury rights, so it will be a lot of people who are already burning turf can burn turf as they always did. Yeah. It's, it's not about loopholes. It's about respecting people and communities who have depended on turf and cut turf for their own use um, to be able to continue to do that. 
as Matt says, this is something that's been declining over the years. Mm. I spent many of the summer in the hill myself, um, and uh, as did many, many in my local community. Just clarify, Many in my local community, but that has been cha changing and reducing every year. Yeah, what has but changed so it's important as of last week? It's, What's it's changed now? What has changed now is the capacity to advertise and retail for, um, for commercial purposes, um, turf and uh, wet wood, for example. So they can um, so when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. People can still, people they can't can, just no, post no, online that they can, have it or people advertise. Can still, people can still use it for their own purposes, and for their, but, but they're not allowed to advertise it or, or sell it for, for, for retail purposes. So I think it's a sensible approach. It's important we respect people's use uh, to do it. As I say, it, it is declining, mm -hmm. and it's really important then over the time ahead that we step out that move away from fossil fuels to renewable fuel, maximise our capacity in terms of wind energy in particular, um, off, uh, off our coast to actually move from being a net ex importer at the moment of fossil fuel to being a net exporter of renewable energy in the years ahead and improve everybody's well-being as well as the environment in the process. OK, uh, quickly, I want to get on to this Christmas crib debacle um, that's prompted, I suppose, a lot of, uh, a lot of strong feelings um, to be honest, what, what do you make of it? I mean, the fact is that the, the Lord Mayor has said that there will not be a live Christmas crib um, at the Mansion House this year. Is that something you think is a, is a pity, Matt Carthy? Yes, I think it's petty and actually vindictive of the Lord Mayor of Dublin to pursue a course of action that apparently is at odds with a majority of um, her own councillors. Um, and I think it sends out all the wrong messages and I think it's all too typical of the Green Party, I have to say. OK, um, and we think the Lord Mayor in question has come back and said, look, this is actually an animal welfare issue. Initially, it was COVID restrictions. Um, what do you make of it? 
I don't agree. It's an animal welfare issue. I think the animals concerned are cared for exceptionally well. Indeed, the, the one family has been uh, carrying out and, and uh, the crib and providing the animals for the crib for, for 25 years since it started in the mid-90s. I think it's a very disappointing decision um, by the Lord Mayor. Um, I think live cribs are a really important part of Christmas in many parts of the country. Um, they're a great opportunity to, in, uh, to enjoy the Christmas spirit and indeed for people to actually um, have experiences of animals as well. Animals being cared for very carefully in the process too. So I know there's, there's, there's moves underway to make sure the live crib operates at another location across Dublin and I certainly hope so in the future that we will see it and indeed maybe hopefully this year if, but that's a, that's a matter for so the arrival, Lord Mayor. Arrival but it, actually at the mansion experience. house as well. The same, the same experience but potentially in a different location this year but I think it's something with that animals I will certainly look forward to attending and um, I know that many members of the public would as well all right um, there we leave that my thanks to the minister and to Matt McCarthy for joining me tonight coming up after the break meta workers preparing for job losses stay with us Welcome back. Well, the Taoiseach Micheál Martin has warned that time is running out to take action on climate change and that the delivery of pledges needs to be accelerated as he attended the opening of the COP27 conference today. Well, for more on this now, climate reporter at thejournal.ie, Lauren Boland, joins us from Egypt. Lauren, thanks for joining us tonight from Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, day one of COP, it doesn't feel that long ago since COP26, uh, a sense of deja vu there. Uh, what's changed not a whole lot, Claire, on the climate progress front. I think what has changed for people is that in the last year since COP26 in Glasgow, what we've seen is more and more extreme weather events and other impacts of the climate crisis that are really hitting people's lives hard. And I think that's at the front of people's minds coming into this COP. The big question is whether it will make a difference on what the leaders actually deliver on now. I think that's the key difference. I think if we're talking about policy, there's still a long way to go. Often these protests are, or the, this, these summits are marked by protests by activists at the fringes. But in Egypt, this is all banned. Um, has it changed, I guess, how this whole summit and climate conference is playing out when you have the world leaders and all the elite gathering um, without the voices of those on the ground? It's normally a really big feature of COP that you have the world leaders and the negotiators doing their side of things. But then you also have the, the ordinary activists, the civil society groups, the campaigners who are there really pushing hard on certain issues that sometimes the leaders would rather not think about. And the fact that that has been curtailed somewhat this year it does cast a bit of a shadow over the events, mm -hmm. particularly because there were already issues around people like that, I suppose, getting to COP in the first place. A lot of people that might ordinarily have attended a COP haven't come because of access issues around things like visas or accommodation. And to then now be here and to also have that sense of strong hesitancy mm. um, on a safety basis mm. to get out and protest. It does paint a very different picture. Last year in Glasgow, the people might remember there was a big protest on Saturday of the, uh, in between the two weeks. And that would be sort of characteristics of cops to have a, a protest in the city 
um, where it's being held. So um, we'll see what happens this weekend here in Sharm el-Sheikh. OK, and we will see indeed what happens over the next fortnight um, of talks and where the sticking points are likely to be. Lauren Boland um, from the Journal.ie, thank you for joining us from Egypt tonight. Now, another news, uh, Facebook parent company Meta is planning to begin large scale layoffs this week that will affect thousands of employees. That's what The Wall Street Journal has reported today. Well, for more on this, Donal O'Donoghue, president of the Employment and Recruitment Federation, joins us, as does political correspondent with the Irish Mayor Louise Byrne and Silicon Republic journalist Vish Gain. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Let's talk about the tech sector and the jobs. There's been a few shocks, I suppose. We've had, we had Stripe, then we've had Elon Musk coming into Twitter and making a big call on, on job calls there. And now we have Meta, which is a huge global employer, um, employing some 87,000 people around the world, making big decisions this week, Vish. Yeah, I mean, it came as a shock last week when Stripe decided to make its announcements and then Twitter as well, as everyone's been following. Um, so it's just been a whole week of, I mean, we were talking earlier in the programme how it's been a highway uh, to climate hell. It looks like it's a climate tech, tech job, a uh, highway to tech job hell at the minute because... Um, you know, across the world, lots of tech companies, especially given the current economic climate, have decided to go ahead and cut jobs. So Meta, as you said, 87,000 employees. They have 3,000 in Dublin and um, in Ireland across three different sites. And we're not quite sure how many they're, they're going to lay off, but um, it can happen as soon as Wednesday, according to reports. Now, they don't have an official company announcement yet, but I mean, in the US, there have mm. been inside sources that have gotten in touch with media. Yeah. Um, Louise, on this, do you think the government has been caught in the hop by what's happening? I think they have in a way. I think, you know, we are very reliant on the tech sector for employment as well as corporation tax, it has to be said as well. So I think they have been caught on the hop. I don't think there's widespread panic just yet. I think there's definitely concern. We heard from the Taoiseach in Egypt today uh, that, you know, it, there was concern that this could happen in a range of different areas. And um, the Taunish this evening, he met with the IDA and he met with Enterprise Ireland. And he was saying that no company has actually indicated that they're going to close their Irish base, which I suppose they are taking as a silver lining. And they were saying that there is a high demand for tech skills across the economy in general. And what Thornish was saying this evening is that there's a strong pipeline of overseas investments still coming in. So I think what will happen is, you know, there are concerns that people are going to lose their jobs. But, but what they seem to be saying is that through additional overseas investment, plus the kind of organic companies that are growing here, mm. that there will be jobs for people. And I think there's a hope that, you know, the tech sector is very innovative, very able to think on its feet, so that there's a hope that that can be repurposed into something else. Yeah, um, we haven't yet heard um, from Met on the latest reporting. This is what Mark Zuckerberg had to say recently. In 2023, we're going to focus our investments on a small number of high priority growth areas. So that means some teams will grow meaningfully, but most other teams will stay flat or shrink over the next year. He was talking about 2023. I guess we're heading towards the end of 2022. Arguably, this was all on, on the cards, Donal. Um, we are huge tech employers here, though. So do you think it, it signals the beginning of the great tech layoff? I don't, I don't think it does. And I think what we've got to look at with Mark Zuckerberg is the first time he is now at the bottom of the S&P 500. So out of those 500 listed companies, Meta has performed the worst out of 500. So he's now in a position where all of his investment has been going into the metaverse and his CFO and his stockholders are putting him under some severe pressure to see reasonable returns in the next while. 
Now, I empathise with the people that, uh, that their positions are at risk in, uh, in places mm. like Meta and in Twitter, as, as we've said already. But actually, there couldn't be a better time in the Irish market for people, for these skills to be coming to market. Because even though job vacancies are down 9%, we're, we still have more job vacancies than we had pre-pandemic. So there's huge demand for these skills. These people are highly educated, uh, and their skills are transferable to other sectors. So like, other tech, so it's not necessarily other tech companies that would be taking these uh, employees. It's it's, other, it's sectors other sectors entirely. Yeah. So if you think about it this way, the tech sector employs about thirty-seven thousand people. So even if ten percent of the tech sector came onto the market over the next six months, they would walk into positions. As I said, they're very highly qualified. So if you think about what's happening in financial services. You know, we've got retail yeah. banks exiting the market and their loan books and their mortgage books are being acquired mm -hmm. by other banks. Those uh, transformation and integration projects require software developers, business analysts, program managers. Okay. So very transferable skill sets. Uh, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that we heard on the Twitter front, at least, that, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, did say we grew, you know, too fast, too soon. And maybe that sense that with a lot of these tech companies, Vish, they overemployed people, that there's too many people uh, for too few actual jobs in the sector. Yeah, that's very much a possibility because um, we've heard of the post-pandemic boom and also lots of tech companies, in fact, um, even though they didn't expect it, ended up profiting a lot from, you know, online sales and payments increasing during the pandemic. But once it was over, um, you know, and during the boom, by the way, they did increase their headcounts and they thought that this boom's going to last for a while. Um, you know, all companies and individuals are going through digital transformation, more technologies being used, tech companies raking in billions. But that's not happening anymore. And it also came at a very inopportune time because also there's the whole inflation in America, both sides of the Atlantic. And then there's the cost of living crisis and the war in Ukraine. And all these things, you know, kind of just make the economic situation such that the boom's over and the economy's bad. So they've been caught at a very bad time and they kind of need to now. Um, Stripe gave that same reason when they, Patrick Collison, when he apologized to a lot of the um, a lot of his employees so even though Elon Musk is arguably coming under a lot of flack over this decision and the manner in which he, he's doing it, although I know Twitter um, has embarked on this, you know, 30-day uh, consultation process with staff here in Ireland um, as per the rules, um, but that arguably the decisions that are being made are because in Twitter's case it's loss-making and in other tech companies it's because they have to do it. They've overemployed too many people, too many bums on seats not doing enough. Yeah, I mean, that's that's possibly what it is. Twitter was very abrupt with their... I mean, even though they're going through the 30-day consultation, they were very abrupt with the way in which they decided yeah. to go ahead and, you know, lay off people. Um, and that's in stark contrast to how Stripe did it, so it remains to be seen how Meta goes about things. Hopefully, Meta will have learned from Twitter yeah. to not do the same. Interesting, though, Louise, isn't it, that the Thornshire originally said, look, there are plenty more jobs in the sector, plenty more fish in the sea. And we did hear a slight change in tone from Leo Varadkar, didn't we, when he was, you know, intervening, saying, look, there needs to be a proper process in place here when it comes to um, how Twitter staff are treated. I think there was widespread shock last Friday when the news started coming out about how the Twitter staff were being, tweet being treated. You know, they were waking up, they were tweeting, I've just found out I've lost my job. Um, we heard the Taoiseach coming out really, really strongly on Friday afternoon saying people need to be treated with dignity and respect. And I think we heard over the weekend that 
Twitter hadn't liaised with the Department of Enterprise mm. as they had to. Now, I don't know if that came as a massive surprise given what happened on Friday, that they hadn't liaised with the Department of Enterprise and done all those statutory things. But the Thonish has said this evening that he's confident that all national employment rights requirements for consultation and notification for redundancies will be met. So I think there will be pressure mm. now put on Twitter to treat their Irish staff properly. And I mean, we're six weeks out from Christmas, so I'd say that's weighing on people's minds as well. Um, also, the Thonish that Donald said last week that we were not overly reliant on foreign direct investment from these companies. And, but, you know, he, he also said that, you know, tech companies probably overexpose themselves a bit too much post-pandemic, as we've been discussing, and we should monitor that. But do you think we are too reliant on foreign direct investment? I mean, it's a big sector employing not a, re a relatively small number of people, but we're hugely reliant on it for the corporate tax take. Well, and that's the interesting thing. We're certainly reliant from a corporation tax perspective, but actually the actions that these tech companies they're taking are going to drive profitability and actually probably result in improved corporation taxes. Um, and I think in terms so of... This, do you think this is potentially a good thing? Well, well, I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's going to improve their profitability, which is going to improve the amount of tax that they're paying to the exchequer. Um, and I do think that the demand for their skills from other non, for example, non-US uh, based businesses, Irish indigenous businesses, we've great tech startups in Ireland, we've great EMEA based uh, tech companies, mm. their skills will be in demand. But I don't think it's a risk to the corporation tax. Um, and Vish, generally looking at so social media and, and the climate out there right now with Elon Musk taking over at Twitter, there seems to be quite a bit of uncertainty about where it's all going. Is there that sense in the industry that something like Twitter may actually implode with all of this, with all of these big changes, and with a huge change around what way uh, Twitter operates? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, lots of people are now talking about alternatives to Twitter as well because of um, uh, the, the changes that Elon Musk might be making. It's all, it's all very uncertain, as you said. Um, no one knows what's going to change. So some of the changes that have been proposed is, for instance, the blue tick is now going to be charged. Um, even though people with blue ticks are important sources of information and they are also um, providing their data to Twitter, but also lots of other changes that people aren't going to be very happy with around moderation, for instance. Um, within the 12 hours um, after Elon Musk essentially um, took over Twitter, people started, you know, there was a huge increase in the number of people using, say, for instance, the N-word on Twitter. And then lots of people are just feeling emboldened mm -hmm. to say whatever they want under, you know, Musk's brand of free speech. So, um, Truth be told, it's, it's, it's very difficult to tell, but there are alternatives that some people are looking at, such as Mastodon and, and you know, just other established players as well. I mean, you could potentially see some people going back to Facebook to talk about their political yeah, rants instead funny, of Twitter. Yeah, funny, someone joked that no one's talking about Facebook with all, with all of this going on. They're still talking about new, new players in the market, potentially, but uh, yeah, Meta will be dealing with all of that. Um, of course, later in the week. And there we will leave it after the break. Richard Chambers joins us from America's US midterms. Heat up. Welcome back. Now to turn our attention to the US, Joe Biden and Donald Trump have been making their final pitches on the eve of midterms. And uh, joining us now from Virginia is our news correspondent, Richard Chambers. Richard, thanks for joining us on the programme tonight. The last day of campaigning, as we've been saying there, uh, Biden and Trump will be out making their one final uh, pitch ahead of uh, all this, this voting tomorrow. How is the race looking? 
Well, I think the momentum that the Republicans had built up over the last number of days and weeks has really held, if not held, it is as actually in fact snowballed. It has now been looking from just going through some of the polls over the last uh, couple of days. It does seem guaranteed now that the Republicans will take back the House of Representatives, according to the pollsters, and that they're in with a very, very good chance of taking back the Senate as well. We've talked previously about some of the races to look out for there in Georgia and Pennsylvania, where Donald Trump was uh, stumping for Dr. Mehmet Oz, who your viewers might remember uh, from Oprah Winfrey's television programme. So really there is a sense that the momentum, the head of the wind is behind the Republicans at this point in time. Uh, Joe Biden, in fact, on the defensive really over the last number of days, going to strictly uh, quite key democratic areas like Philadelphia, uh, like uh, Maryland, and even yesterday in the state of New York where he was uh, stumping for uh, Governor uh, Kathy Hochul, who is uh, really should have been seen as an overwhelming favourite there, but is now being given the race of her life. Uh, by the Republican candidate there, Lee Zeldin. So really, uh, the Biden administration scrambling to try and limit the losses here, uh, which would make life very, very difficult for Joe Biden in his uh, two years to go in his presidency. Warning about this threat to democracy right now. Just how much, Richard, do you think is at stake with these midterms? Well, you often hear it her said during American elections that this is the most important election of our lifetime. It has become that much of a cliche. But there is really a sense amongst uh, different campaigns that this is a, a very, very different election altogether. You have had, of course, the attack on Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, uh, with a hammer. Uh, you've also had uh, multiple instances of voter intimidation, people going to polling stations where there's early voting and intimidating people who are going to cast their ballots. You have people with rifles who've been staking out uh, polling stations in Mesa, in Arizona as well. And behind all of that is the threat of more intimidation and violence. Republicans have already been saying that they want to see all the votes counted on the evening of uh, polling day. That is simply something that cannot be done. And we saw what happened in 2020 when uh, voting, vote counting went on for days in crucial swing states. That's likely to happen here once again. There has been a particular edge to this and that has really stemmed back for over the last five or six years from uh, when the Trump presidency uh, began. I spoke to Sean Spicer uh, earlier on in the week. He, uh, really to put it to him, whether or not he has any personal responsibility or feels any sense of shame or remorse for the level of discourse which has transpired in American politics. Here's a bit of what he had to say. You want to know if I'm responsible because some, someone has said something about a conspiracy with Nancy Pelosi's husband. And yet there were plenty of people that called out Brett Kavanaugh and he deserved it and he did this. Not one of those people came out and said a darn thing Every Republican was supposed to denounce what happened to Paul Pelosi. And I'm glad they did, because it was wrong. Mm. But nobody is asked to say anything about Kavanaugh or Zeldin or any of these other things. We had an attack on the Illinois governor. Bulldog, the New Hampshire Senate candidate, was attacked the other night. Again, does anyone go to the Democrats and say, are you going to call this out? No. I mean, there is what such does that a say? What does that say about what America? What does it say is that, well, that, 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 that is the situation, that you do have these things happening and you can say, sure, it's happening on both sides. But does that not re- require some responsibility and leadership from people, perhaps like yourself, perhaps wait, like wait, the president's on. side as well? Sure, it does, to but try listen to me. Calm yes, the situation down it, and take but, that but venom out of it. Hold on. Yes, and what happened? Every single prominent Republican that I know denounced what happened to Paul Pelosi. There's, just, there's your leadership. When it happens on this side, there's absolute deafening silence. So if you want to ask the questions, go ask them. But you're asking the wrong people. Sean Spicer being his usual quiet, self-effacing self there, Richard. 
Um, let's talk about uh, Elon Musk. He's weighed into all of this. Um, how big of a deal of it when, when he steps in and he says, you know, he, I think he's saying it's time for the Republicans to be back in because we need balance here. Uh, will this have an impact, do you think, on the way people vote? It's an interesting question, Claire, because for a lot of Americans, Twitter is one of the places they get their information. God help them at this point, really, when if that's where you are getting your information. But that is actually the case. And Democrats have been quick to come out over the course of the day and say, well, this is what we were fearful of. We were worried when Elon Musk became the sole owner of Twitter that basically this would be a return of a lot of the accounts which had been banned over previous years for misinformation, for uh, threats against uh, people, whether they be minorities or journalists. And in fact, uh, other accounts which are banned because of encouraging violence or inciting violence around January the 6th. So their fears are coming to fruition here because now they are seeing Elon Musk effectively calling on people across Twitter, using uh, his company as a shop window for the Republican Party, uh, telling people to go out and vote. Uh, he said in, in later tweets that he uh, has previously voted Democrats and he might vote again for the Democrats. But there has been a level of backlash around this, particularly because uh, there was also concern about some of his plans for subscription services and verification all of which would coincide uh, with the election, with polling day. Uh, so there has been great concern about this, particularly about the impact, the harmful impact it can have on democracy. We listened to Sean Spicer there. It is quite clear that cool heads aren't prevailing uh, in American democracy at this point. So uh, really it is going to be quite interesting to see how polling day goes, uh, both on the ground and on social media over the next day. OK, Richard, thank you for joining us from Virginia tonight from the very latest there from the US midterms. And that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.